We have a snack coming up to close out this 4 o'clock hour on a Tuesday. Stay tuned for that. Followed by John Holcomb in the 5 o'clock hour. I'm Colby Daniels, along with Jeremy Poplin and Scott File. We were talking odds earlier from Bet Online, and something that I wanted to bring up yesterday, but we ran out of time and or spent more time talking about the college football odds. Um, we never got to it, but Bet Online, on top of all of the Oklahoma State stuff that was really interesting yesterday, they now have Oklahoma City as the betting favorite to land the number one seed in the West. Ooh. Re- interesting. I don't know followed if I quite by saw that one coming. Yeah, Thunder followed by Minnesota, Denver, and then the Clippers fourth. Now, so, I, has anyone seen who the – that's betting favor for number one seed – for the number one seed in the Western Conference. That's right. What, in terms of order, are the betting favorites to win a championship, and where does Oklahoma City come in out of those teams that are listed in the West? I have not seen an updated version of that. I could probably find it real quick, but, um, yeah, I don't know where they sit in terms of winning a championship, but... Yeah, getting the one seed would would go a long way, I think, in terms of giving you that opportunity. Okay, here's what I – okay, now this is very old, so that one doesn't count. Here's one from six days ago, if if that makes you feel any better. Uh, This is from BetMGM. So the Nuggets, Clippers, Suns, and T-Wolves – actually, they're tied with the Timberwolves at plus 2,200. So you have the, the Nuggets at plus 450, the Clippers at plus 525, and the Suns at plus 1,400 right now ahead of the Thunder. This was okay. as of six days ago. Well, I don't think six days ago they probably thought the Thunder were going to be the one seed. So, I mean, that would that would suggest that one of those three teams – would be in a 4-5 matchup, which is really not favorable. Not where you want to go. To winning home. a championship. So, yeah, I wonder I wonder what the updated odds for that might look like and if that alters Oklahoma City maybe over one of those others. But Well, considering what was the note that we had the other day with, like, Minnesota by far has the easiest schedule of the teams that are in the top four. Because I think of the games they had left, more than half of them were at home, and the winning percentage wasn't that great. There was a little stretch there, I think, with games left for the Timberwolves that was iffy. But for the most part, they had the easiest path for the top four contenders. Yeah. Yeah, unfortunately, and, they don't play Oklahoma City the rest of the way. They've yeah, already they, played their they knocked those out early. And the narratives can change so quickly. Because I think coming out of the All-Star break, the narrative on OKC was, you know, let's watch for this young team to potentially fade in the second half. And then they beat the Clippers the way they did to start the second half, if you quote-unquote second half, right? Uh, mm-hmm. But they beat the Clippers in that first game after the All-Star break, 
and that has completely changed all of the national narratives about OKC. Right? One game after the All-Star break. And now everyone feels completely different about the Thunder than they did before. I, I felt, yeah, which is a, a little bit odd. And I, I know that a lot of people had circled the Clippers as being the team. This is from a national perspective. A lot of people had kind of circled the Clippers as finally putting all of the pieces together, getting back healthy. Kawhi has looked a little bit like Kawhi Bot 2.0. From a, from a previous time when he has played, and he's been playing incredibly well. Um, but for them to come out and, and beat the Clippers that way, which I, I don't know how much stock I put into because there's still something about coming back the first game back from the All-Star break where it just didn't look like that they were ready to hit the accelerator yet. Now, that's not taking away any credit from Oklahoma City because they're the ones that took advantage of it, for sure. But I, I don't know if I was ready to go that far. But if you were to just say, hey, the betting favorite for the number one seed would be Oklahoma City, I'd still be like, okay, yeah, I don't, I don't necessarily have any problem with that. But, yeah, how it's changed as drastically as what it has here over a three- or four-day span, then uh, that to me is the compelling part. So I have updated updated championship odds. Okay. The Celtics are the betting favorite, plus 250 to win the title, followed by Denver at plus 475. Then it's the Clippers at plus 500, Milwaukee at, at plus 750. And then tied for fifth, we have the T-Wolves, the Thunder, and the Suns at plus 1,600. Okay. So of your top seven teams in terms of odds, five of them are in the Western Conference. And the so Thunder, T-Wolves, f- and Suns are all tied. Scott, you pay more attention to Eastern Conference basketball because the Bucks are there. And I, Milwaukee, to me, is the prime example of let's just make it to the playoffs. We hope that we're within a certain seeding range. But, you know, top four, I think Milwaukee feels like they're okay with, with the way that they're built. So, you, But you, you pay far more attention to the Eastern Conference, but is it just considered a foregone conclusion that Boston's coming out of the East no matter what? That seems to is be that the, how most people look at this? That yeah, way? that seems to be the national narrative that it's just Boston in a clear-cut runaway. Um, but really, you look at the East, there's Boston, there's Milwaukee, uh, the Knicks have been red hot, playing well lately. But other than that, I don't, you know, I don't know who else can really contend out of the East. I think Miami is a team that once again everybody's going to forget about in the regular season, but they're built to play playoff basketball. So Culture. I wouldn't count Miami out of out of that equation. But the rest of the teams in the East, like the Knicks, to me are are the opposite of Miami. Like I, I think they struggle in playoff series and and I don't have any confidence that they would be among the contenders. So I would say it's it's Boston and Milwaukee with a heavy one and two and then I would say I am not going to count out Miami. I don't think they're on the same level as those top two, but they would be they would be my other option. What has surprised you guys about this Thunder team? Is there one element that you're like, "You know what? I don't know if I expected that 
I, I would say I don't know that there's any like individual thing that that surprises me, I guess, as much as maybe like everything they're doing is is kind of what I thought they would do. Maybe their their ability to do it at a much higher level for a more consistent period of time. But I mean, watching them play it, it a lot of it is kind of how I, I felt like this thing was going to look. I mean, I guess if I was going to say one thing. Like, just Chet's ceiling in year number one, I think, it has already exceeded what my expectations were. Remember a couple of weeks ago when you were laughing that I brought up the stat that Wimby was the first player to have, what was it, like 100 blocks, 100? <laughs> what what was the, the total stat? Anyway, one of them was 75 it's Like 100, 150, 25, or, yeah, like. <laughs> yeah, well, then, like, Chet becomes the first player to ever, like, surpass the 75 three-pointers and hit 100 three-pointers. So it's like they're oh, nice. they're kind of bouncing nice. bouncing back yeah. a, a little bit here on the first player in NBA history. I the The thing that I think I'm most impressed with, and I didn't quite know how they would handle elements of – Playing a, a enough of a physical style because a lot of people were trying to knock them on that, and then the other thing too that I'm a little bit surprised at, at least at this point, is their ability um, in the face of adversity. For as young as a team as they are, there have been moments this year where, and I know it's the NBA and. Like every, every, it doesn't matter what the point deficit is. Like every team's alive, and it seems like even if a team's down by like 25, and there's nine minutes to go in the fourth, and like watch out, there's a run coming. But Oklahoma City handles themselves, I think, a little bit differently than some of the other teams, even in those moments when they're down. And I can't tell you how many times that I've seen them, you know, start to cut into leads, and they really, there's a there's a point because they they're the league best 12th. Uh, league best 12th uh, after being down by double-digit points so far this year. I mean, they overcame, overcame a 16-point deficit against the Rockets and got their 12th double-digit comeback of the season. I mean, that's that's been the most in the NBA so far. And I think it's those type of wins, especially when you're in the fight for the number one seed, that kind of separate you from being in that one spot or falling to four or falling to five and being in that bad position. They... They just don't really panic at any moment from what I've seen from them so far. And yeah. I'm a little bit surprised by that considering their age. As far as the physicality goes, I mean, I to me, that's that's kind of a, an unanswered question at this stage. Like, how much physicality do we really see in the regular season, right? Yeah, and they haven't much, got to the – yes, you're right. Yeah, like, I think to answer that question, we'll have to see how they hold up in a playoff series against the same opponent – back to back to back to back and you know obviously the the whistle changes to a degree and every possession just you know is magnified times a hundred in terms of of the the approach from your opponent so you know i i think we'll we'll get a better idea in terms of the physicality once we get to the postseason um yeah i, I like i go back to the beginning of the year like i, I thought they were going to be a top four seed in the west Coming into the season, I thought this team was going to be really talented. Now, I didn't think they were going to be in the hunt for the number one seed by any means. Like I, that, that, that would have seemed very far fetched to me preseason. But here they are. So, 
again, I think a lot of the things that the, the really good things they've done, I had a, a feeling like, you know, a lot of that was going to come to fruition, but they've, uh, they've exceeded expectations. They've done it at an incredibly high level. Um, Shay, obviously like, I, I don't even know what the odds are now for him and the MVP, but I, I, he's got to be right there at the top, right? I think he was maybe number two. Uh, going into the All-Star break, um, you know, maybe maybe that could be a surprise. I didn't. I don't know if I – I thought Shea was going to be really good this year, but I don't know that I thought he was going to be, you know, arguably the MVP of the league good. And, yeah, beyond that, I, I, I don't know that, that there's, uh, there's anything that just completely, like, stuns me. Scott, what about you? I would think just the way that – Chet has messed with this team. I mean, missing his entire, I mean, yes, this is his rookie season, but I mean, his true rookie season, he missed the entire season. He sat out, rehabbed, and just, and it's almost like he's still coming straight out of college. It's it's almost like he didn't really miss a year. And and maybe that helped because you you see the adjustment to the NBA style of play as opposed to when he was at Gonzaga. But I think that's probably the biggest thing that, that I've seen is just the way that he, he hasn't missed a beat since he came back from the injury. I was just looking at some numbers for Jalen Williams. Um, all he's done the entire season is just increase his output. November, almost 18 points per game by December. He was up to 19 by January, up to 20 points per game. And now so far through February in his last seven games, He's at a little over 21 and a half. His field goal percentage has has risen for the most part from the early portion of the season. Um, he's still shooting um, at a 45% rate from three point uh, three point range. He's you know he's up there and has been averaging over five assists. Like that's that's the type of just steadiness I think that most people um, point towards with that being such a positive for them heading into the the great uncharted, the great unknown, which is the playoffs in, in which you're going to have to rely more on guys like that even outside of your your massive stars that you have. But, yeah, he's just one of the pieces to the puzzle that has made this thing go so far. And, you know, today, I'm sure you guys have seen it all over the Internet, today um, on 2016 is when we had the 38-footer from Steph with .6 seconds left for the Warriors to win 121 to 118 in overtime over the Thunder there in Oklahoma City. And we're sitting here now. Game? Oh, were you? How, how oh, yeah. crazy was that to watch uh, in person? Yeah, insane. That's where we got the Mike Breen, bang, bang, bang. Were you screaming at the top of his lungs on just an absolutely insane moment? But uh, that feels like maybe three lifetimes ago with that Thunder team. But – you know, you fast forward eight years later, and here they are back already with being at the top, at least for now, in the Western Conference in terms of seeds. It's uh, it's pretty remarkable what we've seen. You know what? I did think of something that, that is stunning about this team. How about this? They lead the NBA in three-point percentage. Okay, yeah. That's considering where they were coming from. <laughs> As a team, yeah, they are they – are, from downtown, which is – and number two is the Clippers, by the way. But, yeah, if you you had told me before the season 
that they would even be top five, I would have probably said uh, that, yeah, probably not. Considering what we've seen over the past three, four years, where all we've been screaming about is that they need a shooter, and especially one shooters. that can fill they it up from shooters, the outside. Yeah. And, yeah, here they are, leading the NBA now. That's wild. Part of that, though, I think is also a testament to the kind of basketball they play, right? And the the, the ball movement and the, you know, you get away from a lot of that ISO stuff and, and the ball moves, and you just create so much, so many more better looks that, you know, you're going to shoot a better percentage with better looks than, you know, maybe having, like, the contested three-point shots by the, the on-ball guy or the – the bailout attempts when the, you know, the on-ball uh, offensive player has to, you know, just kick it to someone for a quick shot because he can't get to his spot. So, I mean, it makes sense. The looks are so much better than they've been with this new group and, and the way that they, they approach the game. But, yeah, leading the NBA in three-point percentage is is a wild thing to think about from where they once were. I see the Hornets picked up Poku, Scott. Is it official? I saw yeah, that I there, there's a report Woj, out. Woj was uh, just tweeting about that a little bit ago, that they, they picked him up. So which player now is going to start wearing his his jersey during practice, you know, the way that they've done with is it Trey Mann? Like there's one of the Thunder players that's still wearing his jersey of practice because they didn't want – his impact on the culture of the team to be forgotten. And it, I don't know, maybe maybe I'm just trapped in the moment with this Thunder team. I, I, I typically shy away from the over-the-top, like, cheese ball, like, corny moments. And maybe I'll have a heel turn on this in a moment where I want to give it the <laughs> the super kick through the pane glass window where I'm Shawn Michaels kicking Marty Jannetty. But it is still kind of fun to see the way that they interact with each other and go and celebrate with each other while someone's trying to do a post-game interview. It gives you a very, I don't know, like college, gleeful, like joyful type of moment with them. They do at least seem to enjoy each other's company. Um, unless this is a, all a big sham. They they seem to be having as much fun as anyone right now in the league. They don't seem to be jaded by just the grind of of the no. NBA season and the business element of it and yeah, I think I think that's a very valid point. Like I I don't I don't necessarily like sit there and and just get a big grin on my face every time I see it, but it is a reminder that if nothing else, like they still very much find joy in what they're doing and and look there are good teams in the nba that that don't have that joy right like this is a business at the end of the day for the vast majority of players in the league and while they want to win a championship it's a very business-like approach and that's not to say the thunder don't have a business-like approach but it comes with a a you know childish joy if you will simultaneously which is i mean a great combination to have right they they don't seem like they take themselves too serious and they don't seem like you know the different losses that you suffer in your NBA career from from various aspects have accumulated to the point to, to make them uh, you know I, I guess turn that element off yeah and they haven't I... there are a lot of NBA players I feel like covering the league for the time that I did 
that I, I, I think there are a lot of NBA players that think they're too cool to have fun. That's what I was trying to find the words for. Because it, and I think that's what ultimately happened to the, the previous bunch that rolled through here. Not, and it, and it happened at different times. But I think that there was a lot of that with uh, the last core group of when the, when the team was, was good last. Or at least considered to be a contender yeah. or making their way through. That's, that's the words that I was trying to find. They, they don't seem to be consumed by that yet. And maybe it will be over a course of time. Maybe this is one of the more unique and special groups that we see now in professional sports. And that's the only thing we have to go off of, of what we've seen so far. Uh, but I think your other point is also valid that they're so young that they're not jaded by the business yet. <laughs> and they haven't, you know, wait till, uh, you know, losing Trey Mann is one thing, but, you know, wait till they have to move on from what are their other key members. Like when they get to the point where they're like, okay, yeah. we've got to make a move to take that next step to where you instantly become like just a commodity at that point to fill in money to bring in someone else to try to put this team over the top. That's when I think a little bit of that starts to to really fit in or when someone becomes a malcontent and wants a certain amount of money, feels like they, they deserve this. Um, we just haven't seen that yet because they, they're not long in the tooth when it comes to their NBA careers. That's right. And and until you get to that point, you don't know how they're going to react. And, you know, you get to that point and, and all of a sudden it's like, that guy was an all-star and I'm not, or, you know, it just it, like, yeah, I, I think just the, 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 the narratives around a team massively, con the national narratives around a team massively contribute to that. And I think the Harden Westbrook Durant stuff was, was a, definitely a great identifier of, of how that was a, a major part, I think of, of uh, some feelings within that trio, right. And the way that people perceived that group and, and, you know, how that group was, uh, I think from one to three, you know, talented and, and the go-to guy in the face of the organization. And it, yeah, it's, it's, I think the longer that you're in the league, the more of those little things just sort of add up and you can become jaded. But I think even before that point, there are a lot of players in the NBA that, that to the initial point are just way too cool. to I think, you know, want to, to, to try and experience the little joys that, that the league has to offer and I think that's why when you do get some of these young teams that play the way that they do and have some success, and maybe the Kings were a good example of this last year, like I, everybody kind of roots for them, right? Because there is that like they're they're like they're the odd one out. They're not, they're they're the exception to the rule. It's a bunch of young guys that are just having fun playing the game that they love, and you just don't get I think groups of of guys that are that way in the NBA very often. I do think as well that we should start appreciating a little bit more about the type of potential superstar and attitude that Shea brings because if you're if you're looking to draw one up if you were just say hey give me the type of potential superstar with the way that he carries himself and the way that he interacts with teammates and doesn't make a big fuss about things and just simply seems to be more about basketball and not and again, I'm not trying to say, hey, you know, guys aren't allowed to do things in their own free time or where where their other interests lie or making that seemingly a more priority than what basketball is. I mean, Shea might be one of those guys that you look at, you're like, 
Yeah, damn, you know what? We landed on one that's not only an MVP caliber type player here in the league, but the type of player that sets the tone for who we're looking for within this franchise as well. Everything you just said described exactly how everyone felt about Kevin Durant when and he was to, until he pulled in the, 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 stages, the mask right? off. Yeah. It was that until yeah. he pulled the mask off and revealed the true Kevin Durant. And yeah. I again, like do what you want, have interest in and in how you want yourself to be perceived, but we found out just how much of a um rabbit-eared <laughs> Yeah sensitive individual that he can be. And I'm, uh, and that has nothing to do with him leaving to go to golden state like, right. at all. I don't, I don't fault him for anything that he decided to do like career wise. But when the personality change started to happen and you saw moments of it, you're like, Oh wait, that's not the dude that we praised that had a backpack and a Bible in it and everything else. Right. He did and, a very and, good and job of, of pulling was, the wool over people's eyes in the early going. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, and, and that I think the question becomes, was he pulling wool over people's eyes? Or, I mean, was he young and maybe that's just how he was and he was having fun and he like, and as he was in the league longer and experienced some, some successes and some failures. And, and look, I think, I think going through some playoff series ultimately start defining your narrative, right? Like right now, Shea's a great story yes. and he's an MVP candidate and everybody loves him, but he's not been through a playoff series where people can either say like he, he failed his team and didn't deliver in the big moment or like Shea was great, but he doesn't uh, have the yeah. right supporting cast. Like I, what's when he doing you passing through, in that moment, take right. the shot, bro. That's right. When you go through those moments, I think, you know, the national narrative and Oklahoma City's a small market team. So they're not getting national conversations a lot anyway, but once you start going to the playoffs and having those postseason victories and, and failures, then the narratives start becoming much bigger, and then we see how maybe people's personalities can change. I, the market size, I think, plays such a role in it because what I – if you were to ask me about Kevin Durant and – whether or not he changed what his personality type was, there's a part of me that feels like that we were so overjoyed with how good that he was and how good that the team was that we were blinded by the light. What's that song by Manfred Mann's Earth Band? <laughs> blinded by the, by light. the light. Yeah. I feel like we were a little bit because there, there were little moments here and there of dropping what type of, of personality and what he needed from people around him. Like the MVP speech where he was talking about the little notes in the locker that were left. And I thought that is, that's so weird that that guy is mentioning that. I'm like that, that was like one of the first key moments. I was like, who are we really dealing with here? That just seems odd for a player of his caliber, but Hey, to each his own. But he was in the type uh, of organization where that didn't seem weird, right? Like that. If, yeah. But it didn't seem weird. And then right. even if it did, no one brought it up. Like, because you would be ostracized if you brought up anything negative about that early portion of those teams with with Duran and the way that things, the way that he acted, or if he did something in public. I mean, you just got you got absolutely attacked, and and it's so it was so new at that point too. I think there were a lot of people that were afraid to say anything negative. 
And the truth of the matter is you weren't getting Thunder players on your show anyway because right. the organization yeah. just doesn't work that way. So right. say say what you want. Yeah, it anyway, just the, just the positives wild. just so tremendously outweighed any sort of like even skepticism you could have until you reached a certain point. And then like, you know, once they became, I think, mainstream, like that's where I think Russell was a great example of this as well. Like I, I, I always felt like off the court, Russell was such a, a completely different person than I think the player that people saw on the court. And I think just in, in my observations, once they went mainstream thunder and were kind of tagged as like the next big thing, right? Like, and the eyeballs got way bigger and they were national narrative. Like even he was a guy that, that I think off the court just completely seemed like was, was a, a different person and the way that he handled himself and the way that he, he was around others, like even when the cameras weren't around. Right. So um, yeah, there, I think, I think there was a tremendous shift for them uh, all experiencing, you know, what they experienced that first time around. And I'm not saying that that will happen to this group. I'm just saying we don't really know, I think in, in terms of adversity, what that will look like until they actually go through it for the first time. And I think that's what's going to be part of the fun this year of yeah. seeing them where there's yeah. expectations on them. And what what will be funny, though, is that I still, in a weird way, feel like that this year is kind of a house money year with them from a from a narrative perspective, even if they do finish with the one seed. Because I, I just have a feeling that most people nationally won't be picking them even if they finish as the one seed. They'll still fall back to the Denvers of the world and uh, the uh, obviously with the defending champs. I think a lot of people will, will kind of point at them and maybe even the Clippers with the – type of mature players that they have that's funny i just listed james harden as a mature player but i just mean in terms of career length but uh it's still kind of house money to me but i i I do want to see how they react to those moments when they get into the weeds where they do become the story so far uh during a playoff series that's why yeah i would you would love to see them just get as much playoff experience this go around as possible um, you know, it, it, just winning one series and being able to to get into a second round, I think, would be monumental. Now, I also believe that you can't ever take any one of these runs for granted, right? We saw it with the first Thunder squad. Like, they made that NBA Finals, and everybody thought this is be- the beginning of a long stretch, and they never got back. You get the one seed, like, who knows how many opportunities you have to, to you know, nail that every year. Because, like, the next year after the Thunder were in the Finals – Russ gets hurt in the playoffs, right? And it just it was a number of things that, that just prevented them year after year. And you don't know that that, that doesn't become the, the reality with this team as well. So while I think you have to look at it from the standpoint of they've just got to get experience and, and just, you know, getting any type of playoff experience is great, you know, should they find themselves in a position to actually make a run, like, you know, you can't let that just slip through your fingers either. Very rarely do you go through a season where you don't have any injury adversity. That's right. And so far, they've so far they they've, haven't right. They've they've been on point with that, and that's why the interesting element of uh, you don't get these very often. Can you take full on advantage of that's it? Right. Even if you are playing with 
air quote house money at a time. It's so very, hard though very. to I think go through the playoffs with a group of guys that has never been in playoff series, right? Like this yep. core group, Lou Dort is really the only core member, right, that has any sort of playoff experience. That's it. Whew. So you put it like that. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, it's there's there's kind of like this really fine line between you know they just need some playoff experience, but having such a giant opportunity to be able to capitalize on. All right, we've got to take a break. Uh, That is Jeremy Poplin. I'm Colby Daniels, along with Scott File. Pop has the reins next on the Blitz 1170 and streaming on the Blitz 1170 app.